0: There in avalanche land, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. We got Patrick Stebbins running the controls. And Arif, I'm, I, I hope you can hear a little bit more excitement in my voice because training camp we had that this week. It was fun. Lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of fresh avalanche discussion here. So, I guess for starters, our guest we got Greg Wasinski joining the show here in a little bit. That, that's going to be awesome. And then, of course, Arif, I want to get your thoughts on training camp. I mean let's just start with something broad. What did you uh, notice? What are some things that stood out to you at training camp this past week?
1: JJ, not only can I hear the excitement of your voice, I can see it in your face because we are live at the Mile High Sports Studios and I love these in-person podcasts. They're so much easier and so much better to record than, you know, looking at a pixelated screen on Zoom because I have the worst internet connection in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, training camp has been awesome and it kind of started with development camp. And I think more so than just the on-ice product, it's the fact that there's a ton of people filling up family sports, and there's fans, and we're interacting with people, and the press conference are, are in person again, and just everything feels normal. Everything feels like a regular hockey season again. It's not like last year where we had to talk to Jared Bednar on Zoom and ask him, hey, who played with who at training camp? Because we weren't even allowed into the rink. It's much different. It's much better. It's exciting. The players feel it too. Uh, the on-ice product has been great. The Avalanche are here. It's an actual full, almost 60-man roster for training camp, unlike what we saw last year where it was very small because you knew they were going to make two or three cuts and get right going into a 56-game season.
0: Yeah, with that, I guess we could start with the Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog presser, right? I mean, last time we saw Nathan McKinnon in a press conference, he was not in a very good mood. But for, for some reason, there was just a different happy energy about him that I don't think I've ever really seen from Nathan McKinnon before. He was really positive. He seemed really excited to be talking to the media for once, right? He usually doesn't love us all that much, and he, he's, he was happy to be there. So, um, yeah, that, that's to your point. The mentality around the avalanche sure
1: seems to be trending the right way. Hey, man, no matter how much players like or dislike, and I don't know who does and who doesn't, nor do I care about media being around in the locker room and everywhere, people are happy to see media again. People are happy to do this stuff not on Zoom. Uh, for us, media, it's certainly great to be able to just blurt out a question have the person answer it and then ask a follow-up question without having to use this raise your hand feature. And then when a follow-up question comes along, you're like, crap, now I can't even follow up on that because I got to wait for more people to ask their question and then raise my hand only to get cut off before you can ask us. A... It's just, it's been a mess. It's been hard. Everybody's fatigued. The players are just as fatigued as the as the media are to have to do with this. And you saw it in, you saw it in Nathan McKinnon, man. He was happy. He was genuinely excited to be there. I think it's really hilarious how the Avalanche continue to do the thing that they do, and it's, uh, they brought up McKinnon with Gabe Landeskog, and, uh, you know, we talked about this a lot during the offseason when Gabe was going through his contract negotiations. It was that Landeskog is kind of the guy that keeps McKinnon in check, in a good way, and McKinnon respects him, he respects his captain, he respects him as a teammate and as a friend, and, uh... Every other player has kind of come out kind of on their own, but with McKinnon, he came out as a duo with Gabe Landeskog, and I just love that because that's your leadership group right there. Landeskog came back, and he continues to assume the role of captain and and doing what he's done for this team, especially when it comes to Nathan McKinnon.
0: Another thing I noticed from Nathan McKinnon, I, and I, I always go back to the 2015 media day, right? That first day you see the players, they come into the Avs locker room, they just did their physicals. and. I remember him coming in just looking like a bowling ball. He put on muscle. He put on a ton of muscle too, right? And now this year, I really noticed him not looking skinny. Skinny's the wrong word, but lean. He was look just looked so fit, right? And and Gabe Landeskog as well. So I think there's an obvious um, trend there from the players that they're trying to even get even faster somehow. I mean, they're already the fastest
1: team in the NHL. The way people, the way players train for an NHL season has changed, you know a ton. They're not powerlifting and do, I mean, we still see PK Subban posting videos of him doing all these powerlifting movements. And I mean, my back is screwed up because of powerlifting and I'm not even an athlete. I don't do a powerlift and then go skate and go play a hockey game, a very physical taxing sport. And, um, I think they've caught on to that. They've caught on to the fact that you don't need to do these things. And we all remember McKinnon, like you said, 2015, because His rookie season, he was a small guy that came in, scored 60-something points in the playoffs, was just lights out against Minnesota, and then he decided during the offseason, the way for me to get better is to go just get jacked as I can be, and it was the wrong move. He struggled for a couple years. It wasn't until he started to get his diet in order in 2018. You know, the whole thing was the off that he was joking about with him just being super into fitness and into diet and only eating certain things and not having any cheap meals and, you know, really holding his, his teammates to the same, uh, to the same, uh, expectation. Thank you. To the same expectation as he has for himself. And, uh, that's when it started for him. That's when he started to break out. It was that 2017, 18 season. It was when he had this new look on diet and fitness and we saw it in, you know, in him, he's, He's lean but he's still shredded. He's jacked. He's still hitting the weights, but he's doing it differently. He's taking a different approach than these hockey players were in the past. And it's it's only going to give him a longer life in in the sport. And it's going to make him faster and better. And I think that we noticed it with McKinnon. We noticed it with Landeskog. I don't know about you. I noticed it with the goalie, with Darcy Kemper. He looks very shredded too. You know, un, not unlike what we've seen in the past, but it just looks like the team finally has things In order when it comes to fitness and health and and we're going to see it on the ice
0: yeah uh, you know sticking with the fitness conversation i think day one of training camp especially there towards the end when they started doing the bag skate i really feel like it it didn't look like a lot of the team was in the shape that they needed to be you know you saw maybe even some of the ptos really get affected by the altitude it looked like Uh, everybody but nathan mckinnon nathan mckinnon you know he was doing the skating he was just fine despite getting hit in the lip with a puck right Um, Off of Ananin's blocker, which he made a joke about. Right, he's even cracking jokes. That
1: goalie's cut. Yeah, and and then he had to stop and say, "Just kidding," because all of us were like, "Wait, we're not used to McKinnon making, we're not used to (laughs) McKinnon making jokes." What do you mean he's cut? Like this is the goalie of the future here. And uh, when he said it, for
0: some reason in my mind, I thought he was making a joke. Like somebody stabbed Ananin. Mm -hmm. That's why he was cut. (laughs) Not that he was cut from the team. So I was like, "Oh, that's violent." I had it wrong.
1: Yeah, no, no he, he came out in a in a happy, delightful mood. And, you know, the way that I saw it with the fitness levels on that day one, the altitude thing is if you were an avalanche regular last year, you looked fine. If you weren't, it's not if you were in an any chiller or not. It's if you were an avalanche regular or not. So, like, all the PTOs, Anisimov struggled he did when they did the bag skate at the end. Yeah, uh, We saw Mikhail Moltsev, who's supposed to be a speedy Russian forward that they got from the Devils in the Ryan Graves trade. We saw him struggle with that as well. He was on all fours in the corner. We were all just watching him, waiting for like, okay, he's going to puke, he's going to puke, he's going to puke. And then he got up and did another lap, and we're like, now he's going to puke, but he held it in. Uh, All the younger guys, we noticed it with them too, Justin Barron even. We noticed a lot of these guys that are not used to the altitude just really get shredded that first day.
0: interested, interesting too, right? Because you're watching this, and you're like, oh man, it doesn't look like he has what it takes. There's probably a fat chance that he's going to make this team. But then when you hear Jared Bednar talk about how he was glowing yeah he's he's uh expecting to use as many players as he possibly can so he kind of wants to keep all these guys around I mean at least that's his, his initial inclinations like, who knows if things change throughout camp and if somebody Look, man, ultimately gets cut
1: if there's one thing that the teams that have a lot of money do and you know I'll use the Toronto Maple Leafs as an example because they've got a lot of it is they sign like 20 NHL capable forwards and just stick like seven or eight of them in the minors. They lose two or three to waivers every year, but they stick an extra four or five guys in the minors that are capable NHLers because injuries happen. And we've talked about it on the defense. The Avalanche, we're, 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 we're trotting out Kyle Burroughs and Keaton Middleton last year, but at forward as well, Liam O'Brien and these kind of guys, like you don't want to have to get to that point. Mm. You want to have veterans and capable NHLers to play like Artem and Nisimov at forward and like Jack Johnson on defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, this season still has a, uh, you know, there's also still a lot up in the air. We're not we're by no means going back to a completely regular season. So I I kind of wish they would have kept the taxi squad idea around, right? That would have been huge.
1: Anisimov and Jack Johnson are prime taxi squad players. Hmm. I would agree with that. I mean, Jack Johnson to me comes off as a kind of guy where, you know, I think he's going to earn a contract and if he does, he's the perfect number 7 defenseman and just a good trooper, hopefully kind of like what Mark Barbario was for so many years where it's not going to hinder his development to not play every night. Hmm. You know, you're not going to carry Bo and Byram only to have him as a number 7 D. He's either, sure he'd
0: probably prefer it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jack Johnson. Exactly, yeah. yeah, Jack Johnson. Like if if it was someone like Bo, either send him down to play big minutes or put him on the roster to play NHL minutes. You can't have him in that little middle zone like a taxi squad or a number 7 defenseman. Jack Johnson's the kind of guy that's made for that kind of role, especially at this point of his career. So. I think he's going to earn a contract too, but I do agree with you. The taxi squad would have been prime for these kind of guys this year.
0: Well, watching training camp, I'm not going to lie. I've liked what I've seen from Jack Johnson. I like the way he snaps the puck around. I think he's a really good passer. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what the defensive staple is here in Colorado, right? You got to get that puck out of the defensive zone and get it out quick. I think he's fully capable of doing that. And he's got the smarts, he knows what to do. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't be that upset seeing Jack Johnson make the team. But of course, that slot is available because of a surprise injury we saw coming
1: into training and camp. And he's getting first look. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so Devon Taves is out, and Jared Bednar, I love the way he announced this. He... um you know, we, we asked him for, I think Mike Chambers asked him for a roll call. Who was at, who's going to be at camp. This is before camp started. Who's going to be there. Is everybody there? Is everybody vaccinated and so on and so forth. And he said, yeah, everybody's there. We're relatively healthy. Obviously Devon Taves had a off season procedure and he's going to miss the beginning of the regular season. But other than that, like he just threw it in there. Like it was common knowledge that we all it. We're just like, wait, this is your top line defenseman that plays with your new $9 million defenseman in Kale McCarr. What do you mean, obviously? He's, he's just going to miss the beginning of the regular season. But the way we've seen the pairings shake out without Jack Johnson, or sorry, without Kale McCarr... Uh, Devon Taves. Thank you. Without Devon Taves is Sam Gerrard is now playing with Kale McCarr. And then what you expect to be your second pairing is now Byram with Eric Johnson. And then the third pairing is Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson. So before Curtis McDermott, before uh, McDonald, before Barron, before any of these young guys got a look, before Dennis Gilbert, it was Jack Johnson that's getting that first look of playing with Ryan Murray, who we know is going to be the number five, six defenseman on this team. So it looks like Jack Johnson's getting that first clear view of being in the starting lineup opening night.
0: Yeah. And, and back to Devon Taves real quick. It sounded like, uh, for some reason, the surgery that he ended up getting, he got it late into the off season.
1: No, no, no. He, he got it. He got it really quick. He did. Yeah. He said, uh, Jared said it was shortly after the season ended. So I take that as shortly after the season ended for the avalanche and the loss to Vegas. I don't think he meant the Stanley Cup final, but okay. he said that shortly after Devon Taves had, an, had a shoulder procedure done, and uh, he kind of spilled the beans on what the injury was. I asked him what the injury was to Taves, and he said it was a shoulder, uh, which is nice because I very much expect as soon as a puck drops off op- October 13, we're going to go back to the lower body and upper body bullcrap. But right now, we do know what it is for Devon Taves. It's a shoulder thing. Uh, but he did clear up yesterday, yesterday being Saturday at his media availability that Devon Taves is doing literally everything there is to do right now at practice other than contact. Yeah. So he's gonna join the group here shortly. And per Jared Bedner, he's gonna join the group shortly. As soon as he joins the group, he's gonna do a you know, he's gonna do drills and practices without the contact. As soon as he's cleared for contact, per Bednar. He'll be in the lineup pretty quick because all he has to do is just take a couple of hits, get used to the contact, and then he'll be ready to go because the conditioning, the skills, the, the systems, all of that other stuff, he's doing that right now.
0: And that's basically what we're seeing from Kale McCarr too, right? He's, not, he's wearing a non-contact yeah. sweater as and well, but he's, he's out there. Yeah, and that's precautionary. That's
1: precautionary. We'll see Kale McCarr ready to go opening night, obviously. So, But yeah, I mean, back to that third pair, Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson, that, that looks pretty good to me. It looks a little bit better than having Patrick Nemeth and all these other guys that they had last year. Now you got someone like Ryan Murray, who's a steady defenseman, who's a little bit younger, and then obviously a a veteran presence like Jack Johnson, who you're not going to rely on to play 15, 20, 22 minutes. It's not 2010. Jack Johnson's not going to make the Team USA Olympic roster. He's not going to, you know, play for the gold medal, but he's a veteran and he can give you 10 to 12 to 14 minutes and he can do it well. Hopefully, obviously, I don't want to pump somebody's tires who only played 15 games last year.
0: And sticking with the defensive group, I think another major talking point coming out of training camp is Eric Johnson, right? I mean, obviously we're getting him back, and I think he looks good. I, I can honestly say, in my opinion, he's at 100%. As long as his head is okay, because we know he was dealing with some concussions, I think he's he's looking 100
1: I take back everything I said during the offseason about the avalanche <laughs> needing to trade him, needing to get rid of him, buy him out, whatever it was. He he looks like the Eric Johnson that we saw two, three years ago. Granted, he is wearing a tinted visor, and we saw Matt Calvert That's scary in. to me. Yeah, we saw Matt Calvert mm-hmm. come in, not with a tinted visor, a but pink that, that pink one to to try to offset the lighting and, and uh, co- you know post-concussion uh, symptoms. Um, we've seen it work for some players. We saw it work for David Perron when he got lit up by Joe Thornton probably a decade ago now, if not more than that. But for someone like Calvert, it didn't really work out too well. Hopefully, Johnson goes more toward that David Perron route.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other than that, I think I've... We'll save the goalie talk here for after Greg Wyshynski, but I've loved watching Darcy Kemper. I think he looks phenomenal. Yep. Um, He's better than what I was even expecting so far. So uh, obviously...
1: Contrary to what Nathan McKinnon said, Eustace Ananen was not cut. He is still at training camp for now. Uh, Maybe we'll see him play a preseason game or two. I'm sure he'll Mm -hmm. get a good look before he gets sent down.
0: No, I love the goaltending group that they have right now, right? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of positives, a lot of sick setups too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's the stuff that you love. You geek out on the pads and all that. But, uh, I mean, Jared Bednar said it himself. He said this is the deepest goaltending group he's had in, mm-hmm. and since he joined the Avalanche in 2016. So it's obviously Kemper and Fransu's at the top. You have Eustace Annan and Yo- Jonas Johansson. You have Trent Miner. You have Peyton Jones. It's a pretty good-looking group of uh, of goalies. Obviously, Hunter Miska is there as well. Uh, sorry, Peyton Jones is not there. It's Hunter Miska is the number six goalie. So it looks pretty good. And to have someone like Innen, who we're expecting to be the future goalie of this team be number four on the depth chart is refreshing.
0: Yep, yep. As long as he controls those rebounds a little bit better and keeps them away from Nathan McKinnon's face, right? <laughs> well, I guess that's a good spot for us to uh, take a quick break and get to Greg Wyszynski. Let's get him on the line and uh, get a quick conversation in with him. And I'm very excited to welcome in Greg Wachinski of ESPN to the podcast. Greg, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and thanks so much for retweeting my hungover picture to the NHL you world. You were supposed to tell. Thanks people for you're hungover. Come on. <laughs> I
2: mean, I mean, listen. I, first of all, it's it's the hockey world, so I think it's more of a badge of honor than anything else. <laughs> but uh, listen, and, and you know, listen, you know, I have an 11 year old daughter who who understands intrinsically that. The things you put on the internet live forever. So just know what, what shows up there.
1: Oh, good. I'm excited for JJ's future 11-year-old daughter <laughs> to find that picture someday. <laughs> Greg, I really want to start with
0: uh, you know the whole ESPN taking over the uh, NHL and obviously TNT as well. But I'm just really excited for what ESPN has done so far uh, and what they're going to do here uh, this upcoming season. I guess my real question for you, it, it just seems like it has your fingerprints all over it. Everything ESPN is doing in regards to uh, hockey coverage. How much say and how much pool are you having uh, within the uh, the organization there?
2: Well, it's very, it's very kind of you to say, but uh, you know, listen, I I I put in my input when when I can, and uh, and it's an honor to be asked for it sometimes, especially when it came to, um, you know, just trying to give some feedback on some hiring ideas that we had for on-air talent and. It's sort of acting uh, on, on a on a ground floor level, you know, a, a guy who interacts with fans all day and has always written for fans to just kind of give, you know, the people that have uh, maybe been, uh, you know, knee deep in other sports for the last several years, an idea of, of where hockey fans are. So that's been really cool. But the things that you see us doing are are the things being generated by some incredibly talented people on the broadcast side that I've been doing this thing forever uh, and not just like game presentation, but also, you know, 30 for 30s and uh, outside the lines and things like that. I mean, the things that you're going to be seeing that we create for the NHL season are going to be, be created by uh, some of the most talented people behind the camera that I've ever worked with. So it um, doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to create some things on my own. I'm, I'm working on some, some projects and um, you're going to probably be seeing some things on the opening night that uh, I've had my hand in. Um, but when it comes to the totality of the thing, it's an honor to, to have some input, but uh, for the most part, trusting when I say the sports in, in, in very good and very professional hands, <laughs> beyond mine.
1: Awesome, and you know, Greg, the, the one thing is, and I think what we're trying to get at here is, as soon as you made that switch from Yahoo Sports to ESPN, that leap of faith, it kind of felt like this was always going to happen. NHL was always going to come back on ESPN because it felt like they were, they were investing in somebody like you who, like you said, you know, you, you write for the fans and you actually interact a lot with, with hockey fans. And one of the first things that we noticed happen after you went over to ESPN, I think it was 2018, maybe it was 2019, I don't remember, but ESPN showed the TSN uh, trade deadline coverage on their website and i think you had a pull in that was that something that you brought up as an idea because that was kind of the start of really bringing hockey back to espn in my opinion
2: oh it was it was huge and and um you know that coverage is so good and and the fact that we have a relationship with tsn i think you know allowed that to happen um definitely something that we lobbied for and luckily it was something that they had the bandwidth to do but you know me coming over there when I, when I got hired, like the cool thing that I, that they wanted um, that I think is very much in keeping with their approach to the sport is they wanted somebody who could like speak to the smarts, but also kind of invite more people to the party. You know what I mean? And, and when I was at Yahoo at Puck Daddy, that was always kind of our, our aim was we wanted to provide coverage that people who love hockey and live and breathe it every day are going to come to the site and, and, you know, find things that they, they didn't know and find things that they find interesting and find things they want to participate in. But also, you know, kind of write about the sport and, and analyze the sport in ways where if you have a tangential knowledge of hockey or if you're just getting into it, you're not going to feel repelled by the writing. And and I think that's, you know, that hockey can feel very alien to people. I mean, every other sport that you see is not played on skates, you know, and uh, and doesn't yeah. have, uh, you know, a large Canadian influence and a large international influence. So it could, be, it could feel something that's not really um, you know, part of the culture that American sports fans have grown up in. So when I came over, that was one thing that we talked about a lot was not simply just like writing for the hockey fans that are already there, certainly not just writing for your sources, um, but writing in a way that captures the excitement of the game and captures the storylines of the game. And I think the one word you hear over and over again in, in my participation behind the scenes when it comes to us getting the rights back, is, is storytelling. And I, and I think that if you can crack that that code with the NHL, because it's not always easy to really re- make it relatable for people, then I think you're just going to wind up making it exponentially more popular than it already is. So if you're looking for a sort of a connective tissue to me coming there and, and what we're doing now, I think that might be it.
1: We watched the Kevin Adams press conference the other day, the Jack Eichel situation. You know, I'm not here to break down the Buffalo Eichel situation. You guys are doing a fantastic job there and everybody else has been. We're an avalanche podcast in the end. But this is kind of the thought that I had watching that. Seeing what's been going on with Buffalo and Eichel the past few months, it looks pretty embarrassing from the outside. And uh, whether that's the case or not, whether that's an opinion or not, it just, that's kind of the way it comes off. And my question is from the inside, it doesn't probably look as bad because in 2017, when the Avalanche were having their season that they were having and the Matt Duchesne and Joe Sakic situation and the fact that they couldn't trade a Ginla to anybody, so they gave him to LA for free and he still missed the playoffs, like everything that was happening to the Avalanche looked pretty bad. But I think from the inside, we just didn't realize just how bad it looked. Looking at this Buffalo situation now, is that what the avalanche looked like in twenty seventeen? Because if they if that's what it was, then holy crap, they've really made a turnaround here. No,
2: no, I don't think I don't think they're comparable because I think this Buffalo situation has stretched on since the ghoul has bought the team. You know, they made the playoffs the first year that they had the ownership, but then they haven't made it since. And in the meantime, you know, they've they this is now like their third rebuild in the last decade. Um. Yeah. You know, where one didn't even get completed before they started another, and and so I, I think the Eichel situation just kind of feels like the latest uh, domino to fall in a long line of disasters for this franchise. I mean, the Ryan O'Reilly trade and and firing of coaches and the switching up of GMS and and all of it. I mean, it it's just been a constant you know descent into the abyss for this franchise. So from that aspect of it, I don't think it really is kind of like huge embarrassment. Just feels you know, kind of feels like the ongoing you know, uh, disaster that's been this team under this ownership group. Now, um, as far as like, the Eichel situation, I, I think the real, the real pain for the franchise is that you don't often end up with a guy like this in the draft, um, you know, a center of disability that you can build around. And, and there were luckily two of them in that draft. They obviously whiffed on McDavid, but they wound up with Eichel, and that's still a hell of a player. I think for them, the issue is, you know, when you have a veteran player like Ryan O'Reilly, for example, and you have to trade him because he's miserable and, and you know, he's clearly kind of indicated that he's, he's done with the team. Still a young guy, but more of a veteran player, trying to get a return you can get for him. Hopefully, it makes an impact. They whiffed on it. I think it set the franchise back. But with Eichel, like, you can't miss. Like, yeah. if you deal this guy, you cannot miss because, um, you're going to basically hit the reset button and have to try to find your next cycle if that's the case. And whatever you bring back is going to be the thing that propels you into the next phase of your franchise. So I'm sure it's extraordinarily meticulous because their asking price is astronomically high. But I also think, sexually, that it's a different situation than I've ever seen as a hockey fan. The fact that you have a franchise player, may or may not still be a franchise player based on an injury, may or may not get the kind of surgery that other teams would probably prefer him to get because he wants to get something different that other teams aren't really down with. So it's a very complicated situation both behind the scenes and within the context of, of the player's health going forward.
0: Greg, get, the NHL is getting back to an 82-game season here. Um, obviously, we're not out of the COVID woods yet, but with the NHL's vaccination percentage, you know, I think that's pretty promising. Uh, my question to you is Do you anticipate a, another run of the mill season here? Or are we going to see some maybe unprecedented injuries, uh, just delays, game, hiccups? Game rescheduling. Right, exactly. How how do you anticipate this season, I guess, running through?
2: Well, the game rescheduling is the real X factor that I don't think any of us really know yet. You know, obviously, they built in a lot of room into the schedule last year. They they played games kind of, you know, in, in the same geographic area. It was all very controlled. I feel like this season they're feeling a, a little bit better about life because of, of all the players being vaccinated um, and because of the protocols that they've now had in place for a, a half a season. They can kind of carry that over into this season. So I, I think they are anticipating a, a season that, that can go off without as many hiccups as we had last year. But But, you know, you never know if you get a breakout um, breakthrough infection on a player or whatever, you know, what could happen. But I think they're they're going into the season thinking that they're not going to have the scheduling chaos they had last time. The vaccination issue is very interesting. I mean, we obviously have heard of a few players now um, that have made the decision not to get vaccinated. Um, but we've also heard from a few players that have gotten vaccinated, even though they didn't want to. And, um, you know, I was talking to a player the other day about this concept of we always look at hockey culture as being a very negative thing. You know, like, you don't say anything interesting. The logo on the front, not the name on the back, and, you know, con- conforming. And, and, and it could be a very negative thing. I, I think it can make hockey very insular and can make people that don't, uh, aren't from a certain area or don't look a certain way feel very unwelcome in the sport. But I think there's a flip side of that, which is that if you, everybody on your team is getting vaccinated or the majority of your team is getting vaccinated, especially in the leadership group. And you know that it is for the betterment of your team if you do get vaccinated. And you know that there's a finan- there could be financial repercussions for you if you don't get vaccinated. This is all under the, the, the umbrella of hockey culture. And I think it's the reason why the NHL has such an incredibly high vaccination rate versus other sports is because of, of these factors that, yes, typically very negative. Not a huge fan of the hockey culture trope. But in this case, I think it's put a certain amount of pressure on these guys to maybe get over themselves and, and get the vaccine and, and and they might not have done so otherwise.
1: Yeah, so uh, Greg, let's let's do a little shift over to the Colorado Avalanche here. I've been listening to your podcast since Merrick versus Wsinski and you know, you guys yeah. obviously did that long long time ago. So my question for you is why do you hate the Colorado Avalanche and why is it? Because you're probably wearing your Marty Broder jersey right now. I'm just kidding. But, you know, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the way it came off for so many years. Anytime you had any opinion on the Avalanche, you just got reamed on Twitter, man. The Puck Daddy comments. Avs fans came after you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing my Brandon Marshall Jets jersey. Um, because, you know, like nice. every Jets jersey is a Jets jersey of a former player. It's um, <laughs> kind of how it works. Uh, I don't hate the Avalanche. I don't hate any team. I mean, I, I probably hate the devils more than any team. I'm more critical of them than a team <laughs> being a devils fan, but like, you know, it's the typical thing where if you have negative comments about a team, you know, everybody's trying to trace it back to find the reasoning for it. I mean, Rangers fans think I hate their team because of devils fans. Flyers fans are the same way. Islanders fans are the same way. Although every Devils fan will tell you, we don't care about the Islanders um, at all. Uh, so you know, it, 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 Dallas fans, um, I think believe that I don't like their team because I didn't think that Sergei Zubov was a Hall of Famer. So there's oh, always yeah. a reason why people think I don't like the team. But I like the Avalanche. I think I think they're uh, they're the, they're a team that I want to see succeed because I think that they've built the team in a really meticulous and uh, and striking way. I mean, they've, they've obviously done some really smart things by the draft. Um, they've obviously you know gotten some advantageous contracts, at least before this off season. And, um, and I think they've done some really smart things building their franchise through, um, with, with kind of through an analytic prism, you know, which I, I respect every team that does that. So I got nothing but love for the Avalanche uh, and in particular, I have nothing but love for Nathan McKinnon and, and, and hope that they can finally breakthrough because uh, I'm afraid he might hurt somebody if they don't um, <laughs> being. And it's going to be Dem- one of
1: us in the media.
2: Yeah. Or, or, or maybe, I don't know, just go on a free of uh, of vandalism or something through the streets of Denver. I don't know how he'll react if things don't go right this time. I mean, I've never seen anybody want to win more than that kid. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't hate the avalanche. I mean, it's, yeah, it's few and far between are the franchises of course that I really hate. Um, most of them, are based in New England. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> you know, like, like always, like they have for the past seven, eight, nine years, the Avalanche waltzed out Nathan McKinnon to the first media availability in person side by side with Gabe Landeskog. So Gabe can keep him in check like he has for the last eight, <laughs> eight or nine years. But, uh, speaking of those, uh, advantageous contracts, you said until this summer, is that referring to Makar, Landeskog, both? Which ones do you think are not the best deals?
2: it, it cogs i yeah. mean okay i i think we can all agree that that he's got incredible value to that franchise there's no question that they're a better team with him there um but i mean he's 28 eight-year deal um you know it's one of those deals that i think look the mccarr contract had to be signed i mean McC- mccarr yeah. is incredible and and i think that that contract will look good in perpetuity um that i haven't i haven't met and talk to anybody in this league outside of the people who had to react to that contract and signing their own players that didn't like that contract. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, he's McCarr. I think in Landis Cox's case, that is the kind of deal that is that you sign with a dude in the hopes that you win a cup in the next, you know, four years. And then, you know, his, I think his trade protection changes after that and then maybe you kind of make a different you, you, you know find a different decision you know if things are in a different place for him as a player or you as a team but it's it, it felt like one of those deals that you strike with a player that you love that you know you have to probably go that long to keep him because of how many teams would be after him and free agency um but it's not necessarily one that i i love because of the term.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to go one or two ways. It's either going to look like Vlasic and Burns and all those guys in San Jose who signed long-term deals and never won, or it's going to look like Brent Seabrook where, you know, I mean, obviously he's not with Chicago anymore, but hey, he's overpaid, but he got you three cups. So it works out either way.
0: Greg, I guess what's the national perception of this team right now? I guess locally, we're a little bit worried that Brandon Saad, Jonas Donskoy left, and they're kind of just relying on... Organizational depth to fill those holes. Um, I, I like the addition of Darcy Kemper, but uh, odds makers still think Avalanche are the favorites nationally. D- is, is the team still kind of viewed as the team to beat out here in the West right now?
2: Yeah, without question. I think, I think once again, it's going to be a Kong versus Godzilla thing with the Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you know, with, with, the, with the caveat that um, as much as I think Robin Laner will be able to carry the load there, there's no question the Knights don't have the same goal that they had. In previous seasons with with flurry now with with the Blackhawks um i you know I, I, I feel you on the depth a little bit um i, I think some of the losses they took a player like Donskoy for for example um hurts the depth a bit um I think they lost a little bit of character too beyond the lineup um but that's something that you can probably find at the trade deadline um is bringing you know a veteran maybe with some definitely with some playoff experience, maybe even with even with some cup experience you can help chill out the lineup. That's something you can find within the context of the season. Love them on the back end. Um Kemper is an interesting one. I was talking to a goalie the other day about Kemper and the idea that um you know what is he gonna bring to this team without Grubauer. And you know the only the only I, I like Kemper a lot. The only caveat I'd say is that the last season um wasn't up to his standards. Uh, there has been, I think, a little bit of living off his reputation. Um, And there is certainly a change in dynamics for him going from a place that has absolutely zero expectation in any way, be it the standings, be it the fans, be it the media, to a place where you are now the the focal point of trying to win a Stanley Cup. Um, I think the best news for this team might be that Franchot is healthy. Um, I I like him a lot, and I mm-hmm. think that his being out hurt them last year more than maybe people outside of, of Denver anticipate or, or realize. So it's a, it's one. I mean, it's a Cup team. It, it, it truly is, especially if the bottom six can can actualize. Um, but uh, but by no means is it like a slam dunk Cup team. <laughs> I just think that we all know that they're amongst maybe like the four teams coming into the season. I could say they have a shot at winning the cup and you're like yeah you definitely do
1: yeah I think the the Kemper situation is really interesting because he is going to have expectations he never had before in terms of the kind of team he's going to play for it reminds me of Varlamov when he was with the Avalanche facing 40 45 50 shots regularly and then suddenly gets traded to this Barry Trotz team facing 20 to 25 shots and you know his career kind of took off and I think if Kemper can handle the pressure he can kind of have a similar situation here with the Avalanche because we saw Grubauer last year. He was facing twenty twenty five shots a game, oftentimes to the Coyotes. But uh, I think Kemper, if he can deal with the pressure, can can really come into his own with the Avalanche and be a nine twenty five, nine thirty goalie without having to face forty fifty shots a game.
2: Yeah, I mean, sure, I, he's really good. <laughs> I mean, make no mistake yeah. about it. Um, I, I do think that it's you know he he, he has much like. Every goalie that the Coyotes have had in the last three years can be a little bit injury prone, which I think makes the backup even more um, more valuable for this for this run for them. Um, I think he's very good. I, I think that he's not been maybe as good as his peak was a few years ago. Uh, and I also, you know, we talk about the, the, the pressure of things and, and all that stuff. I mean, he's also coming into a season where, you know, depending on what he does or doesn't do at the avalanche is going to severely affect what he gets on his contract too. I mean, it's a walk year, right? So like, that's, that's another layer of it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, obviously it wasn't a move they wanted to make. <laughs> um, uh, probably a move they didn't think they'd need to make. Um, and unfortunately it was a move they had to make after the musical chairs of the goaltenders this off season had kind of already, you know, slowed down. So, um, I, I think all things considered, they got a really good goalie. I, I just don't know for sure what he's going to look like, um, given all the sort of the ancillary things floating around him.
1: Yeah, Greg, and you know we really appreciate you doing this. We're only going to have you for a couple more minutes here because I know you got a Jets game to you know watch them lose. Coming up here shortly to the Broncos. Uh, that that wasn't a jab at you. I just wanted to pump up our fan base <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit. You know we we got to get the subscribers where we can get them. Absolutely. But, uh, I, to ask you so last year our our season preview episode we always like to bring in somebody nationally because you guys you guys have that outside point of view it's not as biased as a take as you know somebody that's covering this team or within the organization but um last year we had Chris Johnston on before the season started which was friggin' nine months ago it's really weird but uh one of the things that we talked about with Chris and it was kind of the hot take of the podcast was everybody was talking about that West division and saying that it's Colorado, Vegas and St. Louis and then the rest. And one of the things that we discussed with Chris and, you know, he, he agreed with it and he kind of ran with it was it's not Colorado Vegas, St. Louis and the rest it's Colorado Vegas and the last St. Louis isn't really part of that upper echelon with the avalanche and the golden Knights last year, at least, you know, losing Petrangelo and everything. Kind of my prediction this year that kind of goes off of something similar to that is I genuinely think the biggest competition the Avalanche are going to have in this division. And yes, we know the Blues are going to rebound and Krug's going to rebound and we know Chicago got better. But my prediction is that the biggest competition in this central division is the Winnipeg Jets. Because of the team they have, they've upgraded their defense. Obviously, Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to have a full year. They got a hell of a goalie in net who's probably going to lead Team USA to a, you know, to a long run in the Olympics. What are your thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets being that competition for the Yavs in the Central?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the Wild are an interesting team, too. Um, they're, they're super talented, but I think that they're a little young in some areas. So uh, they're, much like they were in that division last year, you know, they're kind of an X factor a little bit, um, but real good. Uh, yeah, the Jets did the Jets some really smart things. I mean, you know, their, their defense imploded a few years ago where they lost, like, four of the six guys on their blue line. And they never really addressed it sufficiently, and, and and it allowed. I mean, maybe they thought they can get away with it because Hallibuck is so good. Um, but now that they've addressed it with Brendan Dillon and with with Nate Schmidt, um, and and also some uh, addition by subtraction back there too, um, you know, they've really addressed what was without question the weakest part of that team. Now, then you look at the lineup. Like you said, I think I think Pierre Luc Dubois had a really rough ride last year. Um, you know, having to kind of reorder life because of what happened in Columbus and the trade and the whole thing and, and I think he'll be better this year, but the fact that they they can roll out that top line um and and be confident year to year knowing it's going to be that good with Shifley and Wheeler and then having the emergence of Nick Ehlers last year, I think his upward trajectory will only continue. Um, they're deep and they're very good and I'm with you. I think that if you look at that division critically, um you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily concede second place to the Jets. I think the Blues are going to are going to be very good this year, um, and I think Minnesota ha- has, will continue to turn the corner. Um, but as far as like could could prevent the Avalanche from uh, from from reaching the conference final, I, I think Winnipeg is definitely in that conversation.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's you ride a hot goalie, and you're you're good to go. I mean, we saw that with St. Louis. One final uh, one final question for you. Um, You know, JJ and I were talking the other day. We all know how this came to be that you're going to be on this podcast. We have a great title lined up for this podcast. Wait till you see it. I think you probably heard of it already. But uh, JJ was telling me that I was a lot more smooth at picking up reporters on Twitter for the podcast than I've ever been with the ladies. How smooth was that on Twitter? Come on.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, I mean. I guess so, but but you ask someone who's in love with the sound of his own voice, who's you know <laughs> has multiple podcasts and just like talks talks people's ear off and gets on radio stations and, and talks until they have to say, all right, ten seconds left, and then like you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say that that I'm an easy lay for a podcast, but I'm kind of an easy lay for a podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Greg, I'm going to make this weird before we hung up just because you made that comment. I've heard your voice in podcasting since I was 16 more than I've heard my own friggin' parents' voice. So kudos to you. You've been doing great stuff. We really appreciate you doing this once again. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a season. I'm super excited to see you probably around some, some of the rinks around the NHL this year. It was a weird year in 2021. Hopefully it doesn't get too odd this next upcoming season.
2: Well, that's very kind and, uh, and saying here. And, uh, and yeah, it'd be be good to travel again a little bit outside of the uh, the metropolitan yeah. areas that I've been in um, I'm really looking forward to it it's going to be real fun too
0: alright Greg thanks for hanging out with us enjoy the games today
2: anytime thanks
0: another big thanks to Greg Wyszynski of course but before we move along in the podcast guys I gotta remind you that DraftKings Sportsbook is back on with the show and it's been a great start to the NFL season it's only getting better at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL DraftKings is kicking off another week of action by giving all new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $1 on any football game this week and receive $150 in free bets instantly, no matter what. And this football season, all customers can swing big with the DraftKings Same Game Parlays. I love that they added that to their uh, platform. The Same Game Parlays are there. I love it. Same Game Parlays allow you to combine multiple bets for a bigger payout. This week, place a Same Game Parlay on an NFL game, and you will be credited up to $25 if your bet loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And the best part is you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So fast, so easy, so smooth. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $150 in free bets instantly when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code MHS to get $150 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL.
1: Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And that was almost as smooth as the way that I got Greg Wyshynski as a guest on the podcast. So uh, Eric's still got it here. I mean, you didn't really break down how you did it there in the conversation
0: with Greg. So for those who maybe missed it, weren't following your Twitter religiously like you think they all are,
1: break it down for him. How did you get Greg on for us? So it was actually great the way this all came to be. And uh, I got to shout out a Twitter follower. Her name is Megan, at Rebel underscore Megan. I think she's one of our listeners. So shout out to you, Megan, for this. Because she tweeted out after we did that episode with Peter Baugh a couple weeks ago here at the studios. She tweeted out, we all love Peter Baugh. This is a great getting to know you. Obviously for Peter. Thanks, at Run Right Air. If obviously she forgot to tag you as well. Yeah, but what's up, ma- Megan? No, no, no. She likes you. She just all forgot right, to right, tag right, both right. of us. Come on, come on. Give her, Give her some credit there. So, you know... She gave a little shout out to our episode and Greg Wyshynski came out when he saw that. Well, actually, I came out and I quote tweeted her and I said, get on it if you haven't already. This was a great you know, episode with Peter Baugh. Greg Wyshynski responded to my tweet and said, big fan of the Friends naming convention. And that's obviously referring to the episode titled The One With Peter Baugh. Obviously, if you are a Friends geek like me and watch Friends growing up, they start every episode with The One With. So I responded back to him and I said, you know what has a nice ring to it? quote, The one with Greg Washinsky, and I put a nice little wink face in there for him. And he responded back with email me. He dropped his email. We got on the phone with we got on the email lines with him. We set up this call. We did it. It was it was a great talk there with Greg.
0: Yeah, well, let's dive into some of the things he said. And uh, obviously, we would have loved to have dived in, d- dove, d- dived. Did well, in, you diving? just
1: embarrass us. No. Thank you.
0: I do it. I do it usually at least once an episode. Um, but it would have been nice to get in, into it more with him. Um, but we're just gonna have to get into it with each other. I think. The goaltending comments really stood out to me there, right? Especially with how much he loves Fransu's. I, I forget what he called him exactly. Francho's, Franchos Yeah. Um, But yeah, that, that's a, an, uh, not something I expected from a national media guy because it doesn't seem, especially since it's been a couple years since we've even seen Fransu's, didn't seem like he's getting that much attention. I mean, there was a little minute there right before uh, the Avs re-signed him, right? And that um, I think he was starting to get national attention, taking over the spot for, for Grubauer while he was hurt. but. Now, it's uh, it def- definitely, he's under a bit of a microscope around the league. People are watching this guy.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what makes me feel, what makes me have a lot of respect for Greg is knowing that, you know, as a national guy, it's often hard to really follow 30 teams, but he does a good job at it because Pavel Fransuz is kind of a forgotten man because, obviously, he missed a year because it's been since COVID and, you know, he was injured in the Dallas series in the bubble. Before COVID happened, Pavel Fransuz was playing better than Philip Grubauer. There's no question about that. He had the better stats, the better save percentage, more wins. He was just the better goalie. Obviously, Philip Grubauer, being an NHL player, had an excellent contract year. And kudos to him. He earned that contract because he won 30 out of 40 starts last year. He was 39 and 1. But Pavel Francouz, knowing that Greg still remembered him and mentioned him, it goes a long way because he genuinely is a great goalie. And having him as a backup, and we talked about this last time, Philip Grubauer, when he got traded to the Avalanche, he was expected to be the starter even though they still had Varley. They kind of pushed Varley aside knowing he was in a contract year and said, Philip's the new guy. Grubauer started that season terribly. 2017-18, he did not have a good start to the year. Varley had to kind of keep the team afloat in that 9 to 11th range in the Western Conference before... Philip Grubauer, uh, you know, started to light it up in March and led them to the playoffs in 2018. Yeah, I remember in December they both kind of sucked. Yeah, and they both kind of sucked for a little while. The Avalanche were kind of falling out of favor. It took like a 13-1-2 run from Gruby in March and April to get the Avalanche into the playoffs. Well, knowing that it takes a little bit of time to acclimate a goalie, obviously some goalies come in right away and just light things up like Patrick Waugh did however many years ago, But knowing that it could, or even Francis himself, but knowing that it could take some time, if Darcy Kemper stumbles out of the gate, Pavel Francos is going to take over. He's going to play games. You can rely on him. I asked Jared about that the other day, and he said Darcy's our starter. He's going to get a bulk of the starts, but I'm going to ride the hot goalie, which basically says just like the Varley Grubauer situation. If you have an issue with Darcy Kemper not starting hot out of the gate, not playing too well, hell, maybe he like you know has an injury of some sort, something that's not really concerning, but just something minor a that's tweak. going to keep him out. Yeah, a tweak or a, a groin tweak, for example. You know that you can ride Pavel Francuz, and it's great to see Wyszynski talk about that because not a lot of people talk about just how important Pavel Francouz coming back to the avalanche is, and he even mentioned that himself, being Greg. He said that the Francouz injury hurt the avalanche more than some people may even realize last season because they did play Philip, overplay Philip Grubauer. He had 40 starts. He obviously came in in relief a little bit more as well. You don't want a goalie starting 40 out of 56 games in a condensed schedule because when the playoffs come about and you get to the second round against Vegas, we saw how exhausted he was. We saw him sort of start to stumble. And that's because the Avalanche couldn't play him 25 to 30 games and have Francis play the other 25 to 30 games. They had to overplay him because of the Hunter Miska situation. Because when Johansson came in, he couldn't play that much hell. The longest break Gruby got was when he was on COVID protocol and Devin Dubnik had to start a few games. So. Fransuz is by all means a a valuable piece to this team. He's also in a contract year, just like Kemper. And I think that's going to light a fire under both goalies.
0: Yeah. And I, I, we heard it from Fransuz himself, right? He's definitely approaching this year as a fresh start for him. He's uh, excited to be back. He's moving great. His hips are back to normal. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm still thrown off by Greg Wyshynski mentioning him because I'm still shocked at how good he is and, and how much attention he can draw to himself with his size, right? It's in today's NHL, a big goalie, you look at Kemper, he's huge. Dude can definitely dunk. Um, but pa- Pavel Francuzzi is about my height, and, and I love to see the things he can do out there in uh, small stature. So I'm excited to see him getting going. But
1: he's yeah, six th- foot, 179, and he catches with the opposite hand, right. which you don't see with a lot of mm-hmm. NHL goalies. So everything about him is different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I like him.
1: But just to remind everybody just how good Pavel is, he's got 31 starts in the NHL, he's 21, nine, and four. He's got a 240 goals against average, a 923 save percentage. This is a good goalie, man. He was 21-7-4 in 2019-20 pre-COVID. He had a 923 save percentage. People often forget how good this guy is. Mm -hmm. And having him backing up Darcy Kemper could be one of the better NHL tandems.
0: Absolutely. I am 100%. I know I haven't been excited for an uh, avalanche tandem. And uh, I guess I I was really pumped for Varley Pickard. But this is a better version of that. Yeah.
1: I mean, I was pumped for Varley and Grooby, but we saw Groovy stumble out of the gate mm-hmm. and you know, I just had a sour feel that entire season that it just wasn't a good
0: And I didn't like how it kind of felt like Varley was getting pushed out.
1: Yeah, I mean it is I wasn't what it is. A fan of that. But you know, like we talked about with Greg, I mentioned how Varley was facing a ton of shots with the avalanche. And people thought he was going to go back to Russia. Like We weren't expecting him to get the deal that he got. Lou Lamorello gave him four years, 20 million, went to the island, playing in a Barry trot system, facing 20, 25, sometimes 30 shots per game, and has just been lights out. He was nearly a Vezina of Trophy finalists last year. And he's been healthy. And he's been healthy. Right, which is which helps you... Because he's not facing a million shots a game.
0: Yeah, and I also think it helps you get some confidence in Fransuz knowing that, okay, Varley got this exact same double hip surgery from the exact same doctor and hasn't reaggravated anything since. Yeah. So with Fransuz, you can be confident that he should be healthy for the uh, foreseeable future.
1: Well, you were part of that press conference when Pavel Fransuz spoke with me. I wasn't there, and he you even tweeted how he's been talking to Semyon Varlamov during mm-hmm. the summer... About how to recover from this and how to make sure that there isn't a reaggravation of the injury, and uh, you know, using Varley as an example could c- gives you gives you confidence in both Kemper and Franzoes. Franzoes from the injury point of view of knowing he can come back from this double hip replacement surgery and be effective, and hopefully not reaggravate anything. And for Kemper, knowing that Darcy was injury prone, just like Varley was with the Avalanche, but Darcy was also facing forty something shots per game. On top of that, you have to take into account how many shots that miss the goal, the block shots, shot attempts, the block shots, the uh, shots that go wide of the net, because as a goalie, you are alert for every single one of those shots. You're not just alert for the shots on target. You're alert for all the shots coming at you. And that's how Varley was with the avalanche. He was exhausted. He went to the island. He got a better defensive structure in front of him. He doesn't see as much puck. So. It gives you confidence in Francis knowing he can come back from the injury. It gives you confidence in Kemper knowing that he was an injury-prone goalie facing a lot of shots and is now going to a team with a better defensive structure. Maybe that'll help him as well. The Avalanche got a good tandem here, and I, I think that's that's one of the things that are kind of lost during this offseason because when it comes to the goalie tandem, all we want to talk about with the Avalanche is what they gave up for Kemper, which was a lot, especially for an uh, unrestricted free agent You know, going into a contract year. Well, unrestricted free agent next summer. But I think the Avalanche are a okay in goal. Eighty two and zero. <laughs> Eighty one shutouts. Eighty one and one. Come on, <laughs> let's let's give the other team a little bit of.
0: Um, another thing that Greg mentioned that kind of caught me off guard was uh, the Landeskog contract. Uh, just just the way he kind of spoke about it in uh, a negative light. I would say, uh, obviously, everybody here's happy to have Landeskog back. We've talked about the term might be a bit much, but he didn't seem to love the contract entirely.
1: Well. I mean, it didn't catch me off guard because from an outsider's point of view, and we talked about an outsider's point of view with the, with the Buffalo situation, from an inside point of view, we just wanted Lance back. It didn't matter. You know, fans here wanted him back. Media here would have loved to have him back just because he's a great guy to speak with and he's a great guy to talk to. And uh, the Avalanche gave him eight years. They didn't want to give him eight years, but they had to do that to get, make sure the contract got done. Greg talked about how Gabe is 28 years old. To me, he's 29 because he turns 29 in November. The season starts in mid-October. He's basically a 29-year-old. Giving him an eight-year deal is risky. And like I talked talked about with Greg, we've seen teams do this. We saw the Sharks do this with Eric Carlson, with Brent Burns, with uh, Mark, uh, Edward Vlasic. Obviously, those are are defensemen examples. But you give a lot of term to guys in their late 20s. And if they win the cup, like Brent Seabrook did in Chicago, yeah, the contract looks bad. Yeah, you can complain about it. Obviously, they've now traded it and freaking got Tyler Johnson for it, which is crazy. But yeah, it looks bad. Yeah, you're going to complain about it, but you're going to say at least Brent got us three Stanley Cups. And in the process, he also won two gold medals. So if you're a Blackhawks fan and a Team Canada fan, you're living. You love it. But for the Sharks, you look at those contracts and you say, we gave these guys a lot of money with the expectation that they're going to win the cup. They got close once. They made the Western Conference Final a couple more times. They never won, and now we're here paying for it. They suck, and they're all under contract. We can't move on. They're immovable contracts. You hope, if you're the Avalanche and you're Gabe Landeskog, that it goes the first route and not the second route. It doesn't go the Sharks route. It goes the Blackhawks route, because as, Gabe, as uh, Greg said about Gabe's contract, after the first four years, the no trade and the no movement clause kind of changes, and we've talked in length about this, how the Avalanche basically year five are telling Gabe, all bets are off. You're going to earn your money. No guarantee that it's with us. So you hope that within those first four years, you can win one or two cups to really make it worth it to pay an almost 29-year-old Gabe Landeskog $7 million a year for the next eight seasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Which brings him to 37, right? We're seeing Eric Johnson walk into the press conference this past training camp. He's at 33 years old, acting like you'd he's 50. you think he was
1: 40. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like he was, you'd think he was Zidane O'Chara's age, like this 44-year-old dude coming in, playing it like... Chara looks healthier than You would think that in the
0: way people are talking about him, right? Not in the way he looks. And we play a
1: part in that. We've talked a lot about it too. But the reality is exactly that. Eric Johnson's got a lot of hard miles on his body. Gabe Landeskog does too. But what have we said about Gabe for the last few years? His game has changed. He changed it. Yep. When he came into the league, not only was he fighting, he was always at the top of the board with Ovechkin in terms of hits. He's changed his game because he knew unless you're a Russian machine like Alex Ovechkin, you're just not going to have the longevity in this league if you play that kind of game.
0: Yeah, so uh, uh, let's see. What else did we talk about with Greg? I think the, uh, the part where you brought up Winnipeg, I, I kind of like that take from you. Interesting from, for him to throw in Minnesota into that pile. Because personally for me, I think one of the bigger rivals for Colorado this year is going to be the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I, I'm with you a little bit on Winnipeg, but I think Chicago kind of presents a little bit more of a pickle.
1: Yeah, so the Blackhawks obviously picked up Tyler Johnson. That was a sneaky good pickup. And using the Brent Seabrook uh, LTIR contract to their leverage was great for them. But obviously, they got Marc-Andre Fleury for literally nothing. Like, I don't remember the guy's name that he was traded for, but his contract was terminated by the Golden Knights. So he's not even a prospect in their system anymore. Uh, who was the other big pickup? Seth Jones. They give him a ton of money, but in terms of this upcoming season, they're going to be a pretty uh, pretty good team with that with that player. Jonathan Taves is coming back from injury. You got a full season of Kirby Doc. They look pretty good. I think they have a good team. Jake McCabe is a sneaky good pickup. They obviously have Ian Mitchell, who we all know from the uh, DU Pioneers. He's going to have a full season under his belt. And uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is actually going to have a decent backup in Kevin Lankinen, or Colin Delia or Malcolm Subban. So suddenly they have goalie depth because they addressed the number one role in Fleury. The Blackhawks are going to be a good team. Uh, The Wild, going back to what he said about them, I think they are a good up-and-coming team. Uh, Obviously, getting Kirill Kaprizov locked up before training camp and not letting this drag at all was great for them. But, man, I can't stop thinking about how good that Winnipeg Jets team is. And I just think that they are going to be the biggest competition for the Avalanche in this division.
0: I guess it's just hard for me to, to think of Winnipeg in that light considering the way they went out in the last playoffs, right?
1: Yeah, but they addressed the one thing that they needed help with. So the Jets went from being the team that had the best defense in the NHL to suddenly having nothing because Tobias Enstrom retired. uh, Dustin Bufflin kind of rode off into the sunset. They had to trade Jacob Truba for Neil Pionk, who everybody was like, who the hell is this guy? Well, apparently Neil Pionk is now better than Jacob Truba. But this summer, they addressed the the defensive situation. They traded a couple of second rounders for Brendan Dillon, and then they went and picked up Nate Schmidt for a mid-level draft pick, which was basically nothing. Just by bringing in those two guys, they now have D-depth. And at forward, let's not forget how good this team is up front. They got Kyle Connor. They got Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, they obviously have Mark Scheifele. They obviously have Blake Wheeler. They got a couple of guys like that. And then the big one for me is Pierre-Luc Dubois, kind of like what Greg talked about in length. His season was kind of off the rails because he asked for a trade out of, uh, out of Columbus. Columbus. Thank you. And... Things kind of went south for him really quick. He got traded to Winnipeg. He had to quarantine in a hotel room for 14 days. And we saw the fitness level of the avalanche this year. Uh, Sorry, at training camp to start off camp. If you're quarantining in a room for 14 days and you're an athlete and you're used to being active, and obviously they got him like a peloton and they tried to do what they can to keep him active. It didn't work. He had a rough season. I think a full year of Pierre-Luc Dubois on that team. He's going to be the player that he was. I also want to give a shout out to him. He switched his jersey number to number 80 to, uh, as a little bit of uh, an ode to Matisse Kavlenix from Columbus, who was his teammate. So he's going to be wearing number 80, which is nice. You don't see that from a forward. But having a full season of him is going to be great. Obviously, that brings us to the St. Louis Blues, like we talked about. Tory Krug struggled in his first year because you know he was in Boston for so long, came into this team. I think Tory Krug's going to rebound. The Blues are going to be good as well. I mean, what this says to me is the Avalanches division is stacked. They are still the top of the the top of the crop. They're gonna be the best team in there. But Winnipeg, Chicago, Minnesota, Hell, St. Louis, a lot of teams are gonna be coming at for them. And to me, Winnipeg is gonna be number two when the season ends.
0: I'm not sure you can count out teams like Dallas either, right? I mean, they, Dallas. Thank yeah. you.
1: I we haven't even talked about them. I think they're gonna rebound well as well. Uh Rupe hints is a hell of a player. Joe Pavelski has suddenly found the fountain of youth this past season, scoring nearly a point per game. Uh they're a good team as well, and they have about seven goalies that are NHL capable. after signing Braden Holtby and having Jake Ottinger and Jake Bishop, Jake Bishop, Ben Bishop, thank you, and uh, Anton, we're not going home, Khadobin. So they've got a lot of goalies in Dallas too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Avs are going to kind of wish they could play the uh, Arizona Coyotes eight, nine, ten times. A well,
1: game. I mean, at least they get a bunch of games against Matt Duchene and the Nashville Predators because that's going to be that's going to be where they pick up a lot of points. Yep, absolutely. Um, Another thing, I think it was refreshing
0: to hear that the Matt Duchesne scenario wasn't as embarrassing as the uh, Jack Eichel scenario going on right now. The only difference, though, for me is that Jack Eichel isn't clear to play. He's not going to be playing the start of the season. That's what made it really weird with Matt Duchesne, that he was just a part of the team the entire yeah. time for a couple months. He was just you know, a sideshow.
1: I think what made it interesting for me, and I noticed this right away, when Duchesne came into that team 2016-17, obviously media day, we all saw those pictures that the Avalanche stupidly tweeted out. Um, but the Avs played him on a line with Alexander Kerfoot, who was fresh out of college, and Neil Yakupov, who was a UFA signing. He didn't play with any of the guys that he had played with a year before. He didn't play with Landeskog. He, didn't, he barely saw time, even with the pairing that had Tyson Berry on it, because he was playing mostly with Nathan McKinnon. So the Avalanche really sheltered Duchesne away from the guys that he's used to, and it just was awkward and weird. But I wish we were able to get into this with Greg Wyszynski about the Olympics, because Greg has spoken in length on his podcast about how Team USA has got a chance to win it all. And obviously, he's an American. He loves the, he, He's cheering for them like you. For some reason, I'm Canadian. Go Canada. Uh, but they really have a lot of forward depth, and they have a roster to match up with Team Canada. They might even have a better defensive core, and they might even have better. They definitely have better goaltenders. I'm not even gonna say might have. But what happens if Jack Eichel stretches through February and he can't play in the Olympics? Because as much as the ball is in his court right now, because Buffalo's paying him 10 million to sit on his ass, obviously it's the prime years of his career, and he'd rather be playing hockey than doing what's than having what's happening to him. But you'd think the ball was completely in his court, but there is a little bit of urgency on the Jack Eichel side because. The sooner this gets done, the sooner he gets traded, the sooner he can go to his new team and actually convince them to be able to get the surgery that he wants to get, which I'm sure will be a part of the trade talks because he has a you no-movement know, clause coming in, in in July. I'm sure he's going to talk to the new team and say, this is a surgery that I'm going to get. You have to agree to it, or I'm going to do the same thing to you. But there is a little bit of urgency from him knowing that he needs to get this all done before the Olympics start. Team USA is counting on it just as much as he wants it to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard because obviously we all want uh, to see Jack Eichel at the Olympics, but you want him to put his health first, right? I don't yeah. think he needs to rush through it or hurry up and get this surgery done just to make the Olympics. Focus on yourself because you got an entire career still to play ahead of you and not don't overvalue the Olympics over your back.
1: But the way that the doctor that he is uh, speaking with in terms of getting the surgery that he wants to get done, I believe it's, it's not the disc fusion. It's the artificial disc replacement. That's the one he wants to get. The Sabres want him to get a disc fusion. The artificial disreplacement, replacement according to the doctor that he's speaking with that wants to get it done for him, who has done it for other athletes in other sports, uh, in MMA and football and so on and so forth, he's going to recover. There's a certain amount of time. I think it's eight to 10 weeks. I don't remember the exact time. He talked about it on the Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick podcast. After that time period, you know, after that recovery is, is done, Jack Heiko will be good as new. So if Jack Eichel is good as new and he comes back early December, for example, mid-December, hell, even early January, and he's the player that we know him to be with no injury issues and no uh, re-aggravating injuries like he was last year with Buffalo where he only scored a couple goals, he's going to be good. He's going to do his thing. He's going to make the team and he's going to play a big part in the Team USA roster. So it's not necessarily rushing it. It's rushing this trade and rushing this initial part of the process to get to the point where he can have the surgery because after that it should be smooth sailing. Obviously, this will be the first time an NHL player gets an artificial disreplacement, but it should be smooth sailing from there. I personally want to see it because I want to see Team USA at their best going against Team Canada at their best. Those are the best games. The 2010 Olympic gold medal final is the best hockey game I've ever seen in my life.
0: Well, and that's what's tough for Buffalo too is they can't really trade him until after this surgery and you see him on the ice a couple of times, right? Because right now he's damaged goods. Greg said that, you know, Buffalo's really asking a high price for him. Well, you're not going to get him You're not going to get that high price while he's in the condition he's in right now. So
1: either Buffalo needs to concede to their side, which it kind of comes off as like an ego thing. The Kevin Adams uh, presser the other day really rubbed me the wrong way because it came off as more of like an ego. Well, this is the way we're going to do it. But it's like Frank Saravalli mentioned it. He said, why do you care if you're just going to trade the player and the new team that acquires him obviously doesn't care either. Why do you care what kind of surgery he gets? Give him the surgery he wants. Get him on the ice trade him for the big, large blockbuster deal and return that you're expecting to get from him because otherwise, if you want to trade him now to a team who's going to put him through that recovery process, you're not going to get a good package for him. And like Greg was saying, they have to really, really kill this one because the Ryan O'Reilly trade set them back and they cannot have that happen again.
0: Yeah, they're just going to keep taking step backwards if they don't make the right trade here. Um, so yeah, anything else you want to talk about with, uh, that we discussed with Greg?
1: No, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think it's, it's great to see that the national perception of the team, you know, coming from somebody who works on, on the national level with ESPN is that the Avalanche are still the cream of the crop. Even without Brandon Saad, even without Yannis Donskoy, even without Matt Calvert and Pierre Belmar and all the guys they've lost, trading Ryan Graves, losing Philip Grubauer. This is still a team that everybody expects to not only come out of the central, but potentially even the Western Conference. They have to slay the dragon. That is the Vegas Golden Knights. They have to slay the dragon even more so. That is the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But if they do, this is a team that everybody expects to go all the way. Hmm.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I'm just looking forward to, to uh, the preseason start, right? I mean, training camp was fun, but preseason's right around the corner. Let's see some game action, not so many five-on-os and uh, four-on-two drills that we <laughs> see all the time, uh, odd man rushes in, in training camp. Let's see some actual hockey. Let's put these guys to work and And actually uh, watch some games here.
1: Yeah, so they're going to be playing at Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday. That's how they're going to start their preseason. And then they have their first home game Thursday, I believe, against the Minnesota Wild. I'm really excited for it. Ball Arena, as far as I'm concerned, is going to have full capacity. They haven't made an official announcement yet. But as far as I'm concerned, there will be full capacity. I don't know if they're going to sell out a preseason game. Who the hell knows? But... We're getting hockey back, and it's coming here in the next few days. What,
0: do you, uh, what are you going to keep an eye out for on, uh, during the preseason games? I think I really want to zero in on that Kuchuskin line yes. and see with Kadri and Burakovsky and see how they, uh, they are going to start to gel together.
1: Bedner has talked has spoken highly of Val on that line, and uh, we spoke about it in length a few weeks ago about how we thought Val would be the guy that would get the first look, and he did, and he's been doing well at it. He's obviously played with them before, so that's going to be – something that we pay attention to, not just for Val, but for Burakovsky and Kadri, both didn't have their best seasons last year. They were both better in 2019-20 than they were in 2021 with the Avs. So it's having a bounce back for both of those who, like Kemper and like Fransuz, are both also pending unrestricted free agents. The Avalanche have a lot of contracts coming off the books this summer. Val Natrushkin's another one. So that entire line is a pending UFA line. And
0: not to mention, Kadri's out to send a message to the NHL, right? Yes,
1: and uh, we're hopefully going to speak with him here tomorrow, being Monday. Uh, That's what the Avalanche promised us, that we will be speaking with him. So I'm really excited to see because he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder more so than he did in 2019-20 when he joined the Avs after that suspension with Toronto. Now it's to prove to the Avalanche and to the NHL that he's still got it. He's not the guy that obviously is going to get suspended every year. Jared Bednar spoke about it. He said that it wasn't the same dumb plays he makes in Toronto. It was a hockey play. We've talked about it in length. We don't need to get into that anymore, but watching that line is going to be a big one for me. The other one that I'm going to watch, I know this is kind of off the board, is Justin Barron. He got his tires pumped by Jared Bednar the other day. Yeah, he did. And the reason why I'm going to to watch him is because his development has kind of been expedited the way Bowen Byrams was when he was drafted as well. During the last training camp, and I say last training camp, not last year, because last training camp was in January late December, early January of 2021, this was after the World Junior Championships. So Jared Bedner had the World Junior Championships on his mind when he said, Bowen is gonna play NHL games this year. Bowen Byram is ready for the NHL. Justin Barron, if this was January, 2022, We might hear the same comments from Jared because Justin Barron will be playing for Team Canada again, like he did last year, maybe have a great world junior uh, championships. Obviously, Canada lost the gold medal game to USA, but maybe Canada wins gold this year. And then maybe Jared says, Justin is ready for the NHL, but we haven't gotten to the world juniors yet. So for me, I'm excited to see what Barron could do against NHL competition, even though it's preseason games. I'm excited to see what he can do with the world junior championships in January and February, because I think that Barron is going to be in the NHL a lot sooner than a lot of us expect, as early as next year even, because like those other guys, Ryan Murray also signed a one-year deal. He's a pending UFA. And if Jack Johnson gets a contract, you better believe it's also going to be a one-year deal. So there will be spots available for a young guy like Justin Barron next season with the AFs.
0: Yeah, I'm with it. Exactly. It's a next season. No matter how much they love him, there's no way they're going to start him anywhere but the AHL, right? He'll
1: play this year after the World Juniors if the Avalanche run into injury issues. That's the only way he's going to get time and valuable time. It'll be kind of like Sampo Porant and Alex Newhook last year. That's the only way that he'll get a good look this year, but this is where it starts. Your development starts with your first training camp, with your first look at NHL competition, and that's going to be what I look for when Justin Barron and the Avalanche take the ice here for some preseason games. And he's obviously going to be sporting number 72. He took Donskoy's number. I don't know if that's his first choice, but Mm. that's what he's wearing.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, we'll be back later this week to break down some of the, uh, the start of the preseason. Uh, that was a fun little training camp episode. Awesome guest. So thank you, Eric, for uh, pulling that one. But good shout, shout, out, boys. Greg shout out, Greg, for obviously
1: joining us. That was great. Can't speak enough about how much Greg Wyshinski means to the hockey world. Mm-hmm. And just listening to his podcast for well over a decade now, he's, he's a hell of a dude to talk to. And, and it was awesome to have him on the show. Yep, absolutely. It was a bit of a pinch me moment to know that I was talking to Greg Wyshynski on my own podcast.
0: Isn't it wild, right? You've, for years, I mean, I think since 2010, I've been listening to Greg Wyshynski. Yeah. So you're always hearing him talk, but this time he's actually talking to you, which throws it's a whole- It's so
1: strange. It's yeah. so strange. I mean, that's, hell, I'm going to pump your tires a little bit. That's how I felt the first time I talked to you. Because I'm like, this is that guy from that Avalanche podcast that I've listened to. But obviously I'd listened to like a few hours of you and Ryan Bolding talking. I've listened to hundreds, if not yeah. thousands of hours of Greg Wyshynski. He dude he started podcasting with Merrick versus uh, with uh, Jeff Merrick and having that MVSW podcast. They used to do 5 days a week. It was Monday through Friday at like noon every single day. What podcast today does 5 days a week? That's a radio show. That's not a podcast. Yeah. And he did it every single day with Jeff Merrick and it was always good content and it was it was when podcasting was new. And obviously now the once a week is the norm, if not twice or three times.
0: Yeah. It's crazy to me with all these podcasts he's done. And for a while there, he was juggling three podcasts at a time, <laughs> how he doesn't get burnt out. He still loves to do it. And he still does it every single week.
1: Like he said, an easy podcast label, I love to hear myself yeah. speak. So, I mean, obviously not in an egotistical way. He just loves to talk hockey and, you know, he's just a very easy guy to talk to. And that's why when you have somebody like Greg on the podcast, it even shuts me up. You know, <laughs> that's hard to do. Very hard to do. You give the reins to Greg and let him go because he's just he's he's got the words and he, you know, he's got the knowledge.
0: Right on, boys. Right on. Well, yeah, this is a good place to wrap it up and uh, get back into the week of uh, Avalanche Camp and preseason. So, uh of course, thanks for hanging out with us, Patrick. Nice work. Thanks for uh, kicking it with us and, and running the ones and twos. Of course, don't forget about DraftKings. America's top rated sportsbook app. At least they were last season. I don't know if they're still, but they're definitely my favorite sportsbook app. I use DraftKings exclusively because I just, I love how easy their system is. So if you haven't checked out DraftKings yet, you are way behind the ball. But again, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks again to Greg. And uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we got you.